This podcast is supported by ARC, Antenatal Results and Choices. ARC is the only UK nationwide charity offering non-directive individualised information and support to parents who are making decisions around antenatal screening and diagnostic testing. They also provide specialised bereavement care for those who experience termination for medical reasons. For more information or support, please call ARC on 0207 713 7486. Hello and welcome to Time to Talk TFMR, Termination for Medical Reasons. I'm Haley, and today we're joined by Jess and Atia. Jess lost her daughter Lyra in February this year. She went through a third trimester TFMR and Atia, her friend, has been a source of support and comfort. They're here to talk about how friends can help us through this experience. So welcome to Jess and Atia. Thanks for being here. It's really nice to see you again. Thank you, Haley. So we met at the live recording, didn't we? And uh, Fiona, my producer and I, well, I think it was Fiona was speaking to you, Atia. And um, yes. and then afterwards, and Jess, and you and I had been speaking um, before and during and after the podcast recording that live. And then we sort of put you two together. And, and Fiona was quite excited because we've been wanting to do a friend's friends and family or friends episode for a long time since the beginning so I'm really pleased to have you both here so maybe um maybe just start with telling us about how you know each other how you guys became friends Jess you go first yeah okay uh wow um well Atia and I have known each other since our first year of university uh in Durham so back in the early 2000s we did the same course together And uh, we were members of different colleges at Durham, but um, just found our way to each other through our sort of wider circle of friends and followed reasonably similar paths after university in that we both moved to London. So we were able to sort of continue to spend time together as you're starting to sort of build up your career and go through all those crazy times of, you know, standing on your own two feet for the first time and uh, exploring London life and all of that kind of thing. And then, you know, have have stayed friends as sort of life's gone through those more important moments, like getting married and and having children. Mm. I think yeah. completely it. Yeah, we basically met in our first year of university. I remember talking to you in the girls' lose before our first lecture, being like, <laughs> we're going to smash this course, we're going to get top marks. And Jess went on to do that, and I went on to not. But, you know, I got through <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so okay so you've been friends for quite a long time and yeah you alluded to it there Jess that you know it's a friendship that's developed and built and then you know seeing each other through these more um sort of momentous times in in our lives yes and um I would say that you know I would always have counted Atia as one of my best and closest friends but this was not a friendship where we were texting every day mm. and living in each other's pockets. I mean, I told Atia I was pregnant with Lyra after the 12 week scan and sort of, you know, we kept in touch during my pregnancy and, and we kept in touch during Atia's pregnancy before that, which sort of dictated that pattern and things. Um, Atia, you had twins a, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'm um, coming up to two years in November. So yeah. Um, yeah, I completely echo that in that we always good friends, but we were definitely people who more you know, got together on the odd occasion. It felt like we'd never been apart, but not you know constantly messaging or constantly um, in each other's pockets. We never lived together or anything like that. 
Yeah, and I guess that's, I mean, that's probably going to reflect quite a lot of people's experience. Well, I should speak for myself. That probably, that feels quite similar to me, that I would say probably some of my best friends, I'm going to use that term, or good friends, are the ones that, you know, you don't see necessarily all the time, but when you do, it's like no time's passed at all. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a good indication that, okay, these are my people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) These are my people. Yeah. And the other thing that sort of crossed my mind when I was thinking about this conversation, Hayley, was that for me, or and for Atia actually, based on her pregnancy, was that we were, we were pregnant in and around the context of the pandemic Mm. and what that does to friendships and sort of how you're seeing and interacting with people. The Mm. experience that you go through when you're pregnant was really different as Mm -hmm. a result of that, even though I was you know, towards the end of the pandemic and things mm. when I was pregnant, it was still a time of reduced social contact and things. And mm. I moved to Cambridge last summer. Uh, so I was in a sort of brand new environment where I didn't have a sort of lot of existing friends during my pregnancy. Um, and that sort of shapes and colours how you're interacting with people and sharing news and things. Yeah. Okay, so let's sort of talk about how your news with Lyra, Jess, mm. just talk about that, how that, when you found out that something was terribly wrong with her pregnancy, where you sort of picked up with your friends from that point? Yeah, so um, so I think like many parents to be, there's this instinctive reaction that you tell yourself not to panic um, when you first potentially hear that, you know, there's an, an odd measurement. And in our case, that's how it started, an odd measurement on, the, on a 28-week um, scan. Mm-hmm. And we got referred to the fetal medicine pathway and then had some further consultant appointments and investigations ordered. And at that point, um, in those sort of early days, we were extremely concerned, but Atia can attest to the fact that sometimes I can be quite anxious. Mm. And I was really practicing the attitude of you don't know what you don't know at this point. You don't need to sort of go and spread this news far and wide and sort mm-hmm. of activate things all guns blazing. So um, Atia and I have another friend uh, called Gareth. And he was pretty much the only person outside of me and Lawrence who knew that there had been there had been something found that we were investigating. And, we were and Lawrence is your partner. I just want to. Sorry. Yes. My partner is Lawrence. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I kept it to sort of basically him and, you know, even even telling my parents and things, it was very we tried to be as low key as possible. They're doing what they should be doing. We're going to the next appointment. We're trying not to panic. And Jess, can I just ask, just to go back a little bit, why you had the 28-week scan? Because that's not a typical scan. No. So um, I was part of a research pathway that Cambridge University Hospitals were running that was investigating, um, I think it was preeclampsia, and they were enrolling all first-time mothers regardless of risk factors. Okay. So So this was by chance? Completely by chance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we later found out that, you know, this was not something that necessarily would have been visible at the 20 week anomaly scan because the nature of brain development um, is not visible until later stages of pregnancy. Okay, so that's quite a big, 
it's just by chance that you had this scan at this time. Yes. Yeah. And that was another reason why we felt quite inclined to keep the news, to hold on to it ourselves and to not blow, blow things out of proportion is, is, doesn't sound appropriate when it's talking about Lyra. But that sort of feeling of not wanting to... I was trying to keep hold of my emotions during that time as much as I could. Mm. Well, and I think there's the, what can feel like might what happened is you might get asked a lot of questions you don't know the answer to. Yes. And that can be quite upsetting. Yeah. Uh, and exhausting. Yeah. So to keep it to a small circle, to at least you have a bit more understanding yourself, what's happening. Yeah. And, um, and so as we progressed through the journey of investigations, um, and I had ultrasounds I had an MRI um got second opinions and things I think I don't know Atia actually did Gareth ever say anything to you did he let on at all uh he tried to call me the night before you called me in the morning um Mm. but I didn't manage to pick up I ended up he was working late or something and then you called me um that morning and gave me your news kind of I think towards the end of the process of knowing you, you, you and Lawrence had come to the conclusion of all the investigations, I guess. It's hard to say decision because it's not really a decision at all in these circumstances. But, you know, you'd come to figuring out what was going to happen next, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly it. We made a conscious decision um, once we knew the pathway was going to include an MRI and, you know, we'd probably want to get a second opinion. We decided, Lawrence and I, to... Um, make the decision for ourselves and so yeah I didn't I didn't tell anybody until we knew that we were going to lose Lyra and we'd sort of made the appointments for um the procedure and the delivery and things mm-hmm. um and that was I, I do remember feeling extremely guilty at the time because I knew that I was giving you giving you huge news was that was a shock and I was calling you on a work day um in the morning but I knew at that stage um when we when we booked the appointments that were going to be starting to happen later that day and you know we went into the hospital for the for the feet side um later that day that at that stage I did think it was important to just let people know because I was so late in my pregnancy that this wasn't far away from when a baby shower had been planned for me and I was starting I was getting sort of messages from friends uh, about sort of arrangements for that Mm. so I felt like I needed to sort of handle this as part of those preparations and things Mm. and Atia yeah what was it like getting that phone call I, I remember I remember being very very upset um and upset for Jess. Um, there was one moment in the conversation that if I could redo anything around the whole situation, I would go back and redo, which is that I remember being so, I guess, verbally distraught that Jess was trying to comfort me and I suddenly snapped out of it and I was like, Jess, this isn't, I'm upset for you and I'm just trying to take it in, but this isn't about me and I should be the one comforting you. And I, and I think that was probably one of the moments where I, I don't know, consciously became a friend, a supportive friend in that situation. Cause I, I kind of heard myself getting very upset. And I could hear Jess trying to 
talk me through it. And I was like, that's definitely not your role in this situation. This should be slightly reversed, um, if anything. So, so I guess that was, yeah, that was how I felt about the news. I mean, I think Atty is being really hard on herself there with that comment because like for I would reiterate that you know this news came com- sort of completely out of the blue that we'd um been through a process that had been going on for a, a few weeks and um we we decided to terminate the pregnancy at this late stage um so I appreciate that it was this huge shock and I also think that at that stage in our process of ending the pregnancy part of my coping mechanism was that you feel like you need to explain a little bit the gaps that people might not have been present for or have understood Mm. or even if people and friends have been present I know that mothers and people who have been through this talk about the timelines and the processes in order to almost make themselves believe and confirm for themselves that that's what they've been through so um Mm. I think that conversation was as much for me just sharing it with a a friend um, and I yeah I think you handled it with real real grace at here. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, Jess, you started it with saying I I feel guilty that I'm calling Atia at work at the beginning of the day and I'm going to drop this news, which is going to be a shock. And Atia's then saying and I'm then feeling I don't know if guilt would be the right word, but sort of saying, oh, I maybe didn't react in the way with reflection, you know, and and I think that there will be a lot of people that can can relate to that because what we're dealing with here is a is a hugely shocking news and set of events. Nobody is expecting it. And we're all human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and you're co- trying to cope with a lot of things happening at once. Um, And I think that what you've described there would be something that a lot of people probably will have encountered with friends and family when delivering this kind of news. Yeah. I mean, not not in that initial conversation, but quite soon after that, when we were talking probably later that week, I think I said to Jess, I'm 100% going to get something wrong in this situation. There's no (laughs) way... I'm going to say the right thing all the time, but mm-hmm. just know whatever I'm doing and saying, or if I do something wrong, I'm doing it because I'm trying to do something right. And if it's yeah. wrong, let me know and I'll change it. And I, I think, I mean, I wouldn't say advice, but if there's anyone who's trying to be a comforting friend or, or support a friend in the situation, I thought that was a very useful conversation mm-hmm. that we had because I think just knew in her heart that I was only doing things to try and help but I guess it gave her permission to be like, stop, don't do that, or do do more of this, you know. It- well, it's recognition that nobody knows what they're doing here. Yeah. We 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 don't have a manual. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't know. So we're we're all figuring it out as we go along. And I mean, I think I don't know that very many friends would have had that conversation. So I think that that's maybe um a reflection of what your friendship is about. So it's nice. I'm really pleased to hear that you could have that conversation. Yeah. And I think the the great thing from my perspective about that comment was that it really reassured me that Atia's support for me wasn't performative. Mm -hmm. And there's an element in this, you know, TFMR community can talk about, you know, you have your A stories and your B stories and who you're sharing those with at different times. And you talk about friends and obviously we have different degrees of 
circles of friends and who we share things with within that and I had you know other experiences with friends who I hadn't shared as much with and and things and you know I think that moment really showed me that she was committed to hearing me as a whole person Mm -hmm. at any point in my journey and she was going to be there for the ugly side and be patient when that was required and Mm -hmm. um yeah that offered me that real sense of safety Mm -hmm. there with that yeah I mean I feel quite moved listening because I, I I do I feel quite um that yeah Atia that being able to turn up and take Jess as she is and we are going to get through this together as friends our friendship will endure this yeah yeah, yeah I, I mean I wouldn't use the word endure but it did feel like a conversation that we had that we're both figuring this out together and obviously mm-hmm. Jess had more different things to figure out than I did but I wanted to kind of address the elephant in the room which is that no one knows how to handle this situation yeah. right no no one knows quite what they're doing but you do yeah. know if something feels uncomfortable doesn't feel right so mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of acknowledge that side of it and and I guess I wanted permission is the wrong word but there were things I wanted to do like you know I knew I wanted to order Jess a Mother's Day present. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the right thing to do. But I wanted to give her permission to be like, that is wrong. Do you mean? So I, yeah. I wanted to kind of say, this is coming from the best place. And I've done that. But if that was wrong, you can throw it in the bin and no harm, no foul. So yeah. it was trying to make sure that we verbally acknowledge that we're there for each other and that, and that we support each other. I mean, I guess the other side of it that, I would talk about a little bit is I come from a place where I don't have a particularly strong religious background or a moral background or any kind of view around the procedures that happened so I was able to be completely in the moment but I think if anyone is trying to be a supportive friend and has those issues or those kind of challenges they need to put it aside because it's not that's not what needs in this situation you're not well it's not about you it's not about about the person going through it yeah yeah so I think privilege is the wrong word, but I come from a, a background where none of that was even a concern for me, mm-hmm. right? So I was able to focus on Jess and Lawrence and their situation, which I think is what you need to do if you're trying to be a good friend in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, and I would add to that that um, the way that manifested itself it, with Atia was that I felt uh, that the way we communicated chain in those immediate first few weeks so you know yeah I got more texts and when I the day I came home from the hospital um there'd been a delivery of I think cook meals from you my other university friends and things that just sort of the stuff that I was not in a place to be able to think about Mm. you'd taken care of and asked I think you asked my mum um if that was something that you could do and that really wrapped around that feeling of of support that I didn't have to be proactively picking up the phone and just to know I knew that if I needed to I could but I also knew that you were just almost there sitting beside me without without actually being there like I really felt felt you and Gareth and and Chris and our friends presence yeah 
so yeah so i'm hearing the kind of like there's the practical support there's the emotional support and i think i think what you've highlighted there is this really clear and honest communication between you two yeah atia was the first and the main person i've been able to tell and describe in detail like what giving birth was like in that circumstance because mm-hmm. i knew that atia's birth with her twins had not been straightforward it had had some challenges and while I was sort of grieving the fact that my that Lyra wasn't with me um and that I'd had to leave her and you know I went through this really strange feeling well it seems strange but in other ways it doesn't feel strange at all um I chose to deliver or I had to deliver Lyra and felt really proud of my body in that experience um because it was so late when we lost Lyra I was I'd I'd gone through the experience of writing a birth plan so Mm -hmm. I I was having all the fears that you would have as you were thinking about what birth is going to be like and all those kind of things and my body went through that and I was able to talk about that in a lot of detail with Atia and I knew she got every single thing Mm. And she was pretty, she was pretty much the only friend, I think, who would have been able to get every single thing I was describing physically yeah. <laughs> about the process of giving birth. And Atia, I mean, how was that? Because, you know, you had, it wasn't that long before this that you had given birth to your twins. So how was that experience for you in hearing knowing that Jess so knowing that Lyra died so I'm just yeah. curious about that um so so I think what was interesting was a lot of the birth the practicalities of giving birth is similar right so and I think it was really important to uh, understand and acknowledge you know Jess is a mum just as much as mm-hmm. I am and she was a birth mum who went through an entire birthing experience and you know as a mum who had slight challenges around my birth but all came out well for me I desperately, after I gave birth, wanted to tell people about that. I remember being in the hospital with my children in NICU and telling lots of the nurses about it. So I understood the kind of emotion behind it of almost wanting to understand your experience through telling the story, trying to understand it a bit more, almost remembering things and the retelling. Mm -hmm. So that felt very familiar to me. I guess the part I found quite difficult to listen to on my part was I think your birth was at 34 weeks and my children born at 32. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I found that quite close to the bone and it, and I kind of almost had to switch off that knowledge when I was listening to the story because it was, it, it just felt so close to what had happened to me in mm-hmm. some ways. Um, yeah, well, I delivered, I delivered at what would have been 33 weeks dead on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I mean is this sort of, how we can transport ourselves into someone else's story and how that can maybe lead us astray in some ways of how we may or may not react and respond. But it sounds like what you did is you you sort of consciously were aware of that that might be the case or you could feel it sort of there. Yeah, I could definitely feel it there. And I kind of just was like, let's park that and mm-hmm. think about that in my own time mm-hmm. and stay fully present for the rest of the story because the rest of the story was so familiar in a way um Mm. that and it's you know I think a lot of birth mums whether you've had a traumatic experience not traumatic whatever 
want to tell the story of their birth. It's a big thing that happens to you and your body. And, you know, it is a fascinating, weird, wonderful experience. And you want to share that. And I think part of the sharing it between Jess and I made us, you know, kind of closer as friends because we'd both been through a big experience. And yes, the outcomes were different, but we'd both done a whole real full on birth. Right. And I I think that. Yeah, I think um, I know, particularly for for mums who have TFMRs earlier in the pregnancy, where I understand there's a you know a whole process that some mums can go through about whether you choose to have a surgical termination or you choose to have a medical delivery, and and that that option wasn't available to me. So I want it was part of really honouring the process of of delivering Lyra that I was able to sort of talk to Asia and really only Asia about that. And, you know, there were, there were really, really challenging moments in, in my delivery. Like you, you have a, an expectation or you, we certainly discussed a degree of pain medication that would mm-hmm. be available to me and my circumstances and things. And that didn't transpire. And there were parallels for that with Atia's experience especially delivering the baby girl, Adeline. <laughs> and um, and then, you know, I had comment from the, the midwife, which I still remember, saying, your body is made for this. You know, you're, you're a natural um, in the way that I delivered and things and, and sort of said that I was feeling pressure and, and think quite, you know, very personal and intense things about the process of giving birth um that hit you in such a I mean what does it mean to be told in these circumstances that you're birthing well what does Mm. that what does that really sort of mean and how that hits you um and there's a tendency or a or I have a fear and from the the way that other people have reacted in small ways who I haven't kind of gone into as much detail with who you know want to talk want to sort of say things like if you want to expand your family again then you know you've you've been through that process or you know she was probably trying to be encouraging Mm. um in sort of making those comments and what I got from talking to Atia was just that total feeling of safety that I could be heard from Mm. somebody who had been through an experience where her children had lived but where there were I felt validated you Mm. know through that in a way that the midwife's comments at the time couldn't really resonate with me yeah yeah I think um well, it can be something that whether they're a midwife, whether they're a friend or a family member, that there might be the tendency to try to make this a bit better when yeah. that's not where we're at. Um, so I wondered, I wondered about, you know, you're talking about the midwife trying to be encouraging, but that's not what you needed at that time. I was wondering what possibly other friends have said that have not been particularly helpful however possibly maybe well-meaning it was maybe meant 
Well, I would caveat all of this by saying, going back to the point Athia made that, you know, when you're a friend on the receiving end of this news, it, mm. there's a degree of shock. Yeah. That, you know, that's hard. Um, a friend of mine, um, we told them the news, Lawrence and I gave them a call and they said, um, I could tell that they hadn't really processed it on the call. You know, I said that we'd gone through weeks of the investigations and we'd found out she had partial genesis of the corpus callosum and what that meant and we were going to I I think I put it as we were going to lose her Mm. um and they said you know oh it'll all work out well it'll all be okay and I I can't remember to be fair whether or not I sort of put it because yeah, I couldn't remember whether I was equivocating when I said that. I think we're going to lose her. I recall that I said we're going to lose her and I sort of had to say, no, 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 no. No, this is the conversation. This is what I'm saying is that, you know, mm. the, the pregnancy is going to end and we we are in the process of losing her. Um, and so that was quite, that need to almost reiterate it was quite challenging. Mm. We had another friend who uh, did the thing that everybody fears, who's had a TFMR. They, they basically were like, yeah, no, uh, that's absolutely awful. I know how you must feel. Uh, I lost one of my cats recently. And that was via text. <laughs> that wasn't said to us in person. Um, that's almost worse, though. Someone sat and thought and then I know. said that. Yeah. Lauren got a text <laughs> from a friend I mean, you could do a whole different episode about, I guess, we could write a book. Deal this. You could write a book. <laughs> yeah. You could talk about the male perspective on this and the way he was, he, he sort of, I remember one of his friends texted, oh, mate, what a pisser. Okay, for the, um, for the benefit of the listeners, I've now put my hands <laughs> in front of my face. But I think that those reactions were mostly from people who weren't, you know who weren't in a circle shall we say um and the other thing we chose to do or I chose to do was I cut off communication with people so most of my close friends were due to come to the baby shower that I mentioned my friend who was organizing the baby shower she knew so she sent out a message and said um Jessica and Lawrence have had some very bad news they're going to lose the baby. Um, please don't reach out to Jess at the moment. She will reach out to you. Mm. And I mean, it's, it, I had six months off work after losing Lyra. And I would say it took me five months to be able to speak to most of those people um, to feel like I could reach out to a lot of them again in a meaningful way. And most of them did respect that request for silence. And I didn't feel let down or sort of I wasn't sitting there saying why aren't people texting me anyway I was just relieved that I wasn't having to directly deal with them fumbling or you know performatively trying to work out what to say or ask Mm. questions about what we've been through I think what's an interesting comment that you've made a couple of times Jess is about performative and you had that a bit when you went back to work you had it a bit with how you feared talking to some of your friends and I think as somebody who was trying to be supportive around this is that I always genuinely cared about you and Lawrence and your situation and Lyra and all those things but I think if anyone's in the trying to be a friend but 
just trying to prove they're a friend, that's probably the wrong motivation. And I think you've encountered quite a few, particularly around going back to work, you've had a few challenges with people being a bit performative some of the time. Yeah, I have to say, it's not a word I've heard before being used to describe this. So I I am curious about what that means to you, Jess, about someone being performative. Um, So for me, it, it presents itself sort of with people asking, you know, how you are. And you can tell that they want to hear that you're on a recovery trajectory. Um, so for me, I should say, so I took six months off work. I, you know, entered into um, therapy for symptoms of trauma and PTSD. Um, I, my mental health was in an extremely bad place. And I know from listening to prior editions of the podcast that I was experiencing a lot of the same things that other mm. other mothers do. So I wasn't on my own, but you are on your on your own physically Mm. in a lot of those moments and trying to cope and things and you you, my antenna would go up quite quickly for when somebody is just basically you know asking how you are amongst sort of friends and family and wants to hear a good story or doesn't want to hear how bad things are but just wants to give solutions Mm -hmm. um what, what I think it's important to remember is that, you know, when you're a friend to somebody with varying degrees of closeness, even if you're really, really close to that person, you're still probably only seeing them at a snippet or engaging with them for a snippet of their day. And they might be choosing to share with you the really hard bits because they think you're a safe place to sort of share that. Mm. But if you get the feeling that you're not sort of being seen, as the whole person or your whole experience in that moment and they just and you just sort of want to be part of a story of you know been through something rubbish but is looking to the future is thinking about going back to work or is thinking about expanding her family again if that if you get the feeling from people that they want that narrative it can be really really hard to be honest yeah um and that changes your, yeah, your approach to friendship in those moments. Yeah, I think you're describing the real watchfulness that happens around this, around how are people going to be with me? How are my friends going to be with me? And Atia, I just, I think it's making me think, you know, <laughs> so what's your secret? How did you know <laughs> how to do this? Is there a secret? I, I don't think there's a secret, right? I think if you genuinely love your friend, there is no secret. You just have to think about it from their perspective a little bit. I mean, I had experienced the loss of my father, you know, about 10 years ago. So I was a little bit aware of some of the language and things that had triggered me in that time. So maybe I was slightly more conscious than the average person, but I think most people have been through some loss in their life by the time they've got to our age. And I think the clearest thing to do or if you want to be a good friend in the situation is one kind of it's nothing to do with you like it's not about you it's about how you can help your friend out so focusing on them I think is really key mm-hmm. you know the second piece is making sure that that person I think feels in control I think there's a lot of texts I sent to Jess being like hey I'm just messaging you to let you know I'm thinking of you answer this or don't answer this it's up to you a lot of my messages ended for the first kind of 
I'd say three, four months afterwards with, you can answer this or not answer this. I won't be offended any which way. And trying to give, I guess, so much control being taken away that giving a little modicum of control and how that friendship interacted was one way that I think I was mm. quite supportive. And then the third thing is, particularly if you've been a mother or a parent before, is remembering that this person is also a parent. So three days after she gave birth, I checked in with her because I remember three days after I gave birth, that's typically when your hormones are through the roof. And I was like, Mm. my Mm. hormones went mental that day. Mm. I was crying and then giggling. Do you mean like, I just couldn't control my emotions. So I remember messaging Jess being like, hey, like you don't have to answer this, but just an FYI, if you feel crazy today, that is something that happens to every mother. Mm. And like sending food after the, the birth, going like, I found it really useful when my friends stocked my freezer because after you give birth, you don't want to be cooking or like waddling around the kitchen. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll just stock your freezer because that was something practical that happened to me as a mother. And Jess is also a mother in that situation. So I I think those are kind of, it's not a special source, but that was... That's a really good point that I'd raise actually just for other mums who are supporting a, a friend who's gone through a TFMR and particularly for me as it was my first my first baby Lyra was my first baby when I went through the process of delivering Lyra and things I was you know we left the hospital worst walk of your life go home your arms are empty and that's it all the care all the you know there was no um in my case in my area there's no integrative mental health care there was no follow-up I was given advice that you know these are the injections you need to give yourself for 10 days after you've given birth um, and how to do it. And if you get any clots bigger than a plum, you know, call the emergency maternity line for, you know, for checking in. So, you know, whereas mums who give birth to healthy babies and, and take them home or in Atia's case or in the NICU, but, you know, have that ongoing sort of support, they get, you know, a community visitor or something a few days after and they get this information and I didn't. And so that was really important. That was something that only Atia could offer me in that situation. Well, what I'm what I'm hearing, Atia, you've said it a few times throughout the episode, is um, Jess is a mother. Yeah. So was that something that just you automatically acknowledged and understood? Or was that something that you had to go, oh, yeah, and she's a mother and, and then, you know, went down that route? Because that's what I'm hearing is what what Jess is describing is that this feeling of, well, I don't have a live baby here, so therefore I'm not being treated how everyone else who's been through a birth has been treated. Uh, I guess for me, because I'd given birth at 32 weeks and I, Mm. I know it's very different, but I did, I walked out of the hospital without children, you know, the children were stayed there for four weeks and I left without, Mm. I was very conscious of like walking around physically in a space, knowing that I was a mother of newborns and Nobody no could else, see that. No one could see it. No one could acknowledge it. And I think yeah. that, that was one of the reasons I was so conscious around the fact that I'm like, Jess's mother, she's a mother. And we've got a Mother's Day's coming up. She needs a Mother's Day present. You know, it just was something that felt very visceral to me. So because of your experience of what you went through, yeah, that sounds like that helped you to make that link more quickly. Yeah. And maybe would have done, potentially, we don't know, because this is what happened between you. But because I think that that is striking that you've been describing and it sounds like you've been acknowledging Jess as a mother from the very beginning, it sounds like to me. 
Um, and I think that that's probably more unusual. I mean, my experience is I remember coming home and then sort of being in a daze and kind of then realizing there's no cards, there's no, hmm. you know, congratulations. There's, but I've been through a birth and it, so it's all sort of quite weird feeling that you're trying to get a handle of yourself as the person who's gone through the birth. Um, and, and, and you don't have that outside acknowledgement either. So it, it's a bit crazy making. Yeah. I, I found um, that nobody knows or there's no acknowledgement. And um, am I going crazy? You know, the whole thing about my hormones are up and down. Well, of course they are because I've just given birth, <laughs> yeah. but, but there's, there's a lack of the acknowledgement, whether it's from medical side unfortunately mm -hmm. that can happen or whether it's from our circles you know family friends whatnot yeah I mean I remember Jess and I talking a bit about like how do you stop milk coming right because I had twins born early so I I was pumping to get the milk and then after six mm -hmm. months I was like I can't take this anymore I've had mastitis I can't deal with this and yeah. so I had to kind of push my body to stop producing milk and mm -hmm. Jess was very conscious of that so she you know messaged me say how do you stop it because she didn't necessarily have access to that from other places mm -hmm. and you know it, it's very it was very clear to me that she was a mother who went through birth and we had a lot of shared experiences of motherhood even though we have obviously a very clear difference in, in our motherhood journey mm. yeah the other thing that we haven't talked about which I guess I'd like to just sort of bring in is the way that um Atia was involved in helping us remember Lyra mm um so we chose to have a memorial service for Lyra um which happened about a month after she was born and we we had it for us and for our parents but I actually wanted um Atia and our friend Gareth and our friend Chris my closest university friends my best friends to be there um with no with no pre like with no expectation that they would be I wanted to ask if if they would come and they they all said yes and Atia I think probably did a lot of organizing relating to that knowing our other friends um but she was also then the person that I felt like let me let me put it another way sorry I'm not speaking very well but um what Atia did that was really invaluable was she gave a reading that we wanted mm. read at that service. Lyra was named after a character from the Philip Borman books. And it was important to Lawrence and I that we had an extract from that book read, which had really sort of, we felt like described our pain at that point. And Atia was, we couldn't have asked our parents to do it and we couldn't do it. But Atia did it and I will be eternally grateful for that you know, because she, that, that was part of the process of having Lyra being heard to me. Yeah. So I feel quite emotional now too, because, so Fiona, the producer on this podcast, is my friend. I'm her friend too. Uh, <laughs> it does work both ways. Um, and Fiona read at Luna's funeral. I did a lot of writing. I wrote stuff. And I think I found poems and things as well. I did find poems and things. And Fiona was 
um, I chose somebody and, and Charlie chose somebody, my husband chose somebody to do some reading because exactly like you said, Jess, it wasn't something I knew I could, I could write the stuff and I could find these things to be read, but I, I knew I wouldn't be able to get up there and do it at least. I mean, you just wouldn't understand me cause I'd just be a puddle on the floor really. So I feel quite moved, um, because it's reminding me of how important that was um, to have Fiona step in and do that. And there was no hesitation when I asked her, not one hesitation at all. It was an immediate, yes, of course. Yes, of course. And she did it. And, you know, I think the thing is, I think, you know, we can do these episodes about how you can be a better friend and we could give some advice. I sometimes I think it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's either there or it's there because people can obviously grow and change and learn, learn these things. But I think there's a, I need to recognize that it takes an incredible amount of strength to be there as a friend properly to do this because it's not easy. It's not easy. And all those friends who have not maybe stepped up to the mark so much, we can give some grace. And I I feel I can get now can give some grace and forgiveness there because it's not an easy. uh, It's not an easy job to be with somebody in that. And so I think, you know, if you're so lucky enough to have one or two that were able to do it. um, It's a gift. It's you feel I feel I felt safe. That's the way yeah. I thought about it for a long time. And Atia was somebody I could I felt safe with. Yeah. And that list is really small. And some yeah. of that list could be bigger. And I've self-imposed, you know, like I said, about when I felt comfortable communicating and when I didn't want to communicate with friends. Some of it's self-imposed. But it's so it's so I feel so lucky to have felt mm. seen and safe with the people I really needed it with right down to the fact that like I think I sent Atia the text of what we wanted her to read and I noticed at the memorial she'd written it out by hand on cards Mm. you know that really means a lot to me I still I can still picture it in my mind that that she gave that you give that level of care and thought into that moment I mean, I guess, I guess as the friend in the situation, it felt like the very least I could do when I could see somebody I loved going through something so incredibly tough, right? It felt like the very least I could do. Um, it felt really important to acknowledge Lyra and her importance to you. And I know I sent you a letter about you know her importance to my life, even though I never got the chance to meet her. She has had an impact on my life too. And I, I think that's the other thing is to acknowledge that, you know, she's just proven that we should all love each other a bit more and all take care of each other. And, you know, she was such an important part of your life, but she also feels like an important part of mine. Yeah, you've never not you've never not made me feel like she wasn't seen by you and will continue to be seen by you. It's so important. I love you so much for it. Oh man, I've got snot running down my face big time on this one. 
Uh, it's really, it's really got me. <sighs> um, you know, I want to know, I want to know, like, this is our sort of, yeah, what, how has this impacted your friendship? I mean, I think we can hear it, but I'd like you to, if you can, put some words to how has it impacted or changed your friendship? I, I guess I feel like we've become closer. I feel like we went on a motherhood journey around the same time and that it feels like, you know, that would always have brought us closer. Um, I, I think the impact of, of Lyra and what happened with her has fundamentally changed Jess and probably has changed me a little bit as well. And I think we're better for it. Do you mean I think we're better people and better friends? But that's probably that's my my view on the situation. I completely agree that we're better friends. I think we're closer, but in a way it hasn't changed that, you know, we saw each other on Friday and went out for drinks and had a, a had a lovely time and a lovely day together. Yeah. But that was the first time we'd seen each other since the end of April. So we, we continue in the way that our friendship hasn't changed. It hasn't meant that we are living in each other's pockets now or anything like that. Like that bit of the friendship is the same, but it's, you know, the way you know that with old friends, you can just pick up and put down sort of with anybody that's even deeper. I, you know, it's, it's like family. Um, she feels like family. I mean, I, I would say I felt a bit of that before, but you know. Yeah. So it's a deepening of the relationship really. The deepening of the connection yeah 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 and I guess you know um the other side of it is you know Jess is still you know processing a lot of what's happened but when my little boy was in hospital earlier this year Jess definitely stepped up and took care of me and sent me flowers and acknowledged that I remember the day he was going in and all that stuff so I think that's the other side of that is that we both deeply care about each other it's not a one way right it doesn't feel that way it doesn't feel one-sided to me at all yeah yeah and this this how how these experiences and how our babies even though they are not here physically how much of an impact they have on us and those around us and I think that's what that's what parents they want is this recognition that they're babies their children impact the world uh yeah absolutely I mean the ways that I remember Lyra now are talking about her with friends but it's also in all a lot of the ways that other parents will recognize we associate daffodils with her I have some paintings of daffodils around the house now um I have you know little pieces of jewelry or I even went so far as to write to Philip Pullman who wrote the books I felt this huge need because I realized I'd been practicing gratitude a lot throughout the happier stages of the pregnancy um, and done a really good job of sort of managing myself. But that all stopped, all stopped, as you'd probably expect, for several months. But I felt this real need one day to just sort of write to him and say, we named our daughter after your Lyra and this was why. And I'm so grateful that you wrote those books because we love them so much and we love that character so much. And, you know, that's how we think of her. And, um, and he wrote back, he wrote back, he wrote the most lovely, beautiful letter. 
So you try and find all these different ways that you're parenting your child or honoring your child or something. And, um, but, but the, one of the most supportive ways is when you've got wonderful friends who Mm. really help you feel seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're gonna, we're gonna end on that note. I think it's a perfect, perfect place to, to end. Um, Atta, you've been really um, helpful throughout in giving little, little pieces of um, nuggets of advice or um, yeah, wisdom, wisdom, let's call it that. Um, but one of the things we do at the end um, of our episodes is is do this TFMR takeaways. And um, I thought I'd ask both of you um, what what advice or wisdom would you give to friends of those who are going through or have been through a TFMR? Jess, do you want to start? Uh, yes, um, I I would say let let the person who's had let the friend who's having the experience lead the conversation always okay yeah and Atia you've given loads of pieces of wisdom but would you like to give another one (laughs) yeah I would just say you know be open and honest and let the fact you love your friend dictate whatever you do because if you come from a genuine place of love then that's all you can show and give in that situation that's the most important to show that person that they're loved. Thank you both. I don't think I've loved this much on an episode in quite a while. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, but there you go. It's real. So, yeah, thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I know I know others will really enjoy it as well and get a lot out of it. So thank you very much to both of you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know by messaging us over on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Time to Talk TFMR and Twitter at Talk TFMR. We've got an exciting season of episodes planned for you. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from Podbean, Spotify or Apple. Subscribing means you get all of our new episodes as soon as they are released. That's all for this time. Thank you and please take gentle care of yourselves. 